Hey, love Christmas. Anybody in the room love Christmas? Raise your hand. You love Christmas, okay? How many of you love it so much you already got your decorations up? Let me see your hands. Yes, I love it. You guys are the best service yet, right? I love the fact that at Christmas time we put up Christmas decorations, Christmas cookies. Love Christmas movies. Anybody love Christmas movies? Raise your hand. Nice and high. All right, here's going to do. I do this every service. I love it. I'm going to count to three. It's going to be one, two, three, okay? And I want everybody as loud as you can tell me your favorite Christmas movie, okay? So when I go one, two, three, shout it out. Ready? Here we go. One, two, three. That's awesome. Didn't understand any of that, all right? Somebody first service said Star Wars, and I had no idea, right? I mean, literally, they said Star Wars. I love it, right? Love, love Christmas movies. Love Christmas presents. Raise your hand if you like getting Christmas presents. Come on. Who's with me? The rest of you liars, all right? I'm just saying, like it, like it. Love Christmas music. How many of you already listened to Christmas music? How many of you were listening to Christmas music before Thanksgiving? Raise your hand. How many of you are listening to Christmas mu- music right after Easter? Raise your hand. <laughs> you need help, okay? We got to love it. Okay, we're going to do the same thing. Ready? I'm going to count to three, a little class participation, count to three, and I want you to yell as loud as you can your favorite Christmas song. Can we do that? Favorite Christmas song. One, two, three, we're going to do it. Here we go. Ready? Got it? One, two, three. I like it. I heard Silent Night. I heard la 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 over here, like the Charlie Brown song. That's awesome, right? Love Christmas music. Somebody first service said this, grandma got run over by a reindeer. I thought, man, in church of all places, right? That's awful. But love Christmas music. In fact, one of the most popular songs at Christmas time is the song Joy to the World, right? I mean, it's a very popular song, not only in church, in church world, but a lot of secular artists are recording that song. It's a song that when you hear that song playing, you're like, boop, it's Christmas, right? And it makes sense because a lot of times we think of Christmas going with joy, joy with Christmas. It's kind of the season of joy. When you hear the song, Joy to the World, we sang a little bit of it today, you uh, begin to think, or at least I do, hey, somebody wrote that song, and they wrote it for a reason. You might not think that, but I'm going to help you think about that today, because when you think about the song, Joy to the World, you think the guy or the gal who wrote that song, stay with me on this, they must have been the life of the party, right? You write a song like Joy to the World, you must be like, hey, when you show up, life of the party. They must have been the kind of person that everything went good for them. They're an optimist. Everything seemed to go good for them in their life. And when you hear Joy to the World, because a lot of people love it today, you probably think to yourself, well, people always loved Joy to the World. It was probably a hit right off the press. I want to tell you something. If you thought any of the things I just said to you, if you thought any of them, you'd be wrong on each account. It's interesting because Joy to the World has a history. We'll take a look at it a little more in the weeks to come, but it was written by a guy named Isaac. You can forget that. His name was Isaac Watts, but he was born in the 1600s, late 1600s. When he was born, first two years, he was in existence. His dad was in prison. His dad was in prison because he wouldn't conform to the state religion of of the day. What was interesting about this guy named Isaac Watts, it's just interesting, trivial to me, is he was very, very intelligent. He was very intelligent. By the age of four, he had learned Latin. That's interesting, right? Beyond that, by the age of nine, he learned French. By the age of 11, he learned Greek. And by the age of 13, he learned Hebrew. This dude was a smart guy, but I have something to tell you about this guy, and that's this. Listen, maybe you know people like this. This guy was really, really intelligent, but he was really, really, ready? I don't know how else to say this. He was kind of homely. You're like, what does that mean? He's kind of ugly. <laughs> he wasn't very good looking, right? In fact, uh, here's, here's what I found out about this guy who was kind of homely, but very intelligent. I did some research on him. He was five feet tall, short guy. 
He was very skinny, he was pale, and he had a disproportionately large head. In fact, you can research this, don't take my word for it. Here's what it said in the research I did. Almost every portrait of him depicts him with a large gown with very large folds to apparently disguise his homeliness and his very large head. In fact, I found a picture of him. And uh, when you look at it, can we just say that yeah, the dude's a little homely. Can we at least just say that? I mean, that's, that's okay. In fact, when I was doing this research and I realized, you know, short guy, kind of pale, disproportionately large head, I, I thought, I wonder if he has a family member. I don't know is what I thought to myself. Somebody recognize that, right? Yeah, that's, don't feel sorry for him, but take that picture off there. This is interesting. This is interesting, but truly he was kind of a homely looking guy and it's what led to a gal named Elizabeth Singer Okay, rejecting his proposal to get married. This is what she said about Isaac. She said, whereas I love the jewel of the person, I don't like the case it's contained in very much, is what she said. That was the 1600s way of saying, he has a really nice personality, is what she was basically saying, right? And so can I tell you something about Isaac, who wrote Joy to the World? He never married. He never had the joy of getting married, He was intellectual and creative, and it was interesting because when he would go to church in church in that day and age, they were only allowed to sing the Psalms. So they would take right from the Bible and they would sing the Psalms. And yet, when he would go and watch people sing the Psalms right out of the Bible, he he had something that he couldn't figure out, and that was this. He said, people sing the Psalms right out of the Bible, but they do it without a smile. And he said, "It, it almost makes me think that the song coming from their lips is not real in their hearts that when people would watch them sing, that maybe they see something coming out of their lips that isn't a reality in their hearts. Well, his dad said to him, do something about it. He said, I will. So he wrote some songs, songs that are very popular, hymns that people sing even today. And one of those is joy to the world. The problem is this, we love joy to the world. Joy to the world is sung not only in church, but in the secular world. And yet, when Isaac wrote the song, it wasn't very popular, even in the churches of his day. The song Joy to the World was the very reason that some pastors got fired, some churches split, because here's what they said about Joy to the World. It was way too contemporary for our church. It's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting, as Isaac wrote this song, he had trouble, stay with me, he had trouble getting Joy to the World into the church. It makes me think of what happens at Christmas. Can I tell you something about Christmas? What happens sometimes at Christmas is it becomes very easy to sing the words joy to the world, and it's a whole different ballgame to experience joy in my world. Isn't that interesting? You see, I know this about some of you in the room. I just know it because I know some of your stories. Christmas is hard for some of you. For some of you, Christmas is really, really hard. This holiday is something you got to gut through. Others of you, you just need to survive the season. Some of you are like, man, Charlie Brown's my favorite character. I feel like Charlie Brown. I can't find any joy at Christmas. And who could blame you? Because the fact of the matter is when you watch the news, however you do the news, read the paper, watch the news, look at your news feed, whatever it is, you watch the things going on in the news and you think, joy to the world. I don't think so. Because when you watch the news, here's what it looks like. It looks like joy left the world, doesn't it? It looks like joy left the world and it looks like it ain't coming back. I like to think of it this way. It looks like our society has lost its smile. In fact, I was reading a Harris Happiness Index poll and it said this, okay, it said this, just recent. It said less than one-third of Americans claim to be happy. People aren't happy. Our society's lost its smile. It looks like joy left the world. 
when you just step back and look at it objectively, you're like, well, go figure. I can, I can see why. Because when you turn the news on, it becomes very obvious why it looks like joy left the world. World leaders, world leaders threatening each other with nuclear war. Terrorists recruiting disenfranchised young people. Even this week, over 300 people gunned down as they came out of their house of worship. Not only that, we live in a day and age where there's racial tensions, culture wars, gender disputes, corruption in government, politicians always fighting with each other, always disagreeing with each other to the point where you can't even remember what it is they're disagreeing about. You just want your side to win the argument. Taxes being voted on and you feel like you have no say in the matter, but you have to pay. Beyond that, you have men in high-profile power positions abusing and misusing their power and their influence to take advantage of women. You turn the news on and you see country concerts turned into killing fields. You see bike paths become bloodbaths. You see even houses of worship that when it's all said and done look like a war zone instead. Can we just be honest? You can see why it looks like joy left the world. You can see why our society has lost its smile. It's the very reason, because some of you have told me this, is that is the very reason some of you don't watch the news. Hey, man, I don't need that. I don't want to watch that because it looks like joy left the world and it looked like it ain't coming back. So what you do to cope with the fact that joy has left the world is you bury yourself in your own little world. That's what you do. And you're like, well, man, if joy's left the world, I at least am going to somehow make joy in my world. And so here's what happens. You become, you, you go on this relentless chase for joy in your own little world. And your life and my life and our lives becomes this exhausting, never-ending chase for joy. That's what it becomes. And some of you are there. You know that. Because it looks like joy left the world. But can we be honest? It can feel like joy is missing in my own little world. And some of you feel that. Some of you particularly feel that at the holidays. You feel like your chase for joy is something that is exhausting and many times disappointing. In fact, when you really think about life, can we just be honest about this? Life is this constant chase for joy. Do you ever think about it this way? I mean, it's true. Life is a constant chase for joy. We come out of the womb, so to speak, chasing joy. Now, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, well, man, those are some really joyful memories for me when I was simply young because I know the secret to joy when you're a baby till you're about five years old. You know it too, right? You know the secret to joy when you're a baby till you're about five years old. You know what it is? Just give me some toys and let me play. If you're going to interrupt me, right, interrupt me just for something to eat. But joy is just get out my way, give me some toys, I just want to play. Guys, I have great memories of that until I got to about age five on this chase for joy. And at age five, I thought to myself, some kill joy. Some, some mastermind kill joy invented this thing called school. You got it. You must be chasing the same joy. And they invented this thing called school, and they said, hey, we want you to go to school and learn your ABCs, one, two, threes, right in the middle of prime time playtime is what they wanted, right? I'm like, who in the world would ever think of such a crazy thing? They had to be a killjoy, but they didn't stop there. They said, hey, why don't we do some work at school, learn your ABCs, one, two, threes, while you're at school, right in the middle of prime, prime playtime. But beyond that, we're going to give you some schoolwork to do at home, and we're going to call it homework. So when you go home right in the middle of that prime playtime, we're going to give you some work to do. 
Eventually, in your chase for joy, you're like, well, man, I got to go. Mom and dad are making me, I might as well make the most of it. So I'm going to chase joy. So maybe I'll find joy in friendships. I got to be here. I got to hang out with these people. So maybe joy is finding the right posse to surround myself with. So I'll chase joy, get myself some friends. And it doesn't take long all of a sudden to find out that sometimes those friendships are what sour you on joy. Because one day you walk in and they got a different best friend. One day you walk in and somehow there's a problem in your relationship. And so you think, well, maybe joy's not found there. Maybe I got to chase it somewhere else. So I think what I'll do is I'll immerse myself in hobbies. Or maybe I think to myself, you know something? What I'm going to do is immerse myself into sports. I'm going to just immerse myself and become all about sports. And that's where I'm going to find joy. And then you wake up and find out you were born in Cleveland. And you're like, there is no joy, right? That's what you think. And then there comes this point in time in your journey and your chase for joy when you get to your teenage years. I know this happened to me. And you're like, you know something? I think the secret of joy is something my parents have kept from me. Because I think somehow joy is a grown-up thing. And I began thinking to myself, because the chase for joy is really, really something that grown-ups experience, and that's when I will experience joy, when I can do my own thing, when I'm on my own, making my own rules, doing whatever I feel like doing. That's when I'm going to find joy. And so I got out on my own because I'm going to find joy, and I started making my own rules, doing my own thing, having my own house. Nobody told me that when you're making your own rules, doing your own thing, have your own house, you're paying your own bills, doing your own laundry, and making your own meals, right? And so you think to yourself, well, maybe joy is me chasing the right job, and you find the right job, and you're like, this is it. This is what I can sink my teeth in. And then you find out one day that your boss is Ebenezer Scrooge, and you're like, man, where'd the joy go? Well, maybe if I find a spouse, then that's where joy is, and then then, then I'll truly have joy, and I'll be satisfied. And so you meet Prince Charming, and and you're like, this is is where I'm going to experience joy. I found Prince Charming, only to wake up three years later and find out he turned back into a toad again, and you're like, wow, where did joy go? And you think to yourself, well, maybe if we make a family, maybe that's going to give me joy that's going to last, won't be fleeting, won't be flimsy. And so all of a sudden you have a baby and everything seems great and everybody sends balloons and flowers and this and that and the other thing until that baby gets to about age two and you realize it came hardwired with a sin nature and you're like, where'd the joy go? And you keep chasing joy and eventually you just throw up your hands and say, well, joy must be when you retire. That must be when you retire, that eventually I'm going to have joy. And I've talked to some people today, trust me, only to find out that when you retire, your new hobby is going to the doctor. (laughs) And you're like, where's the joy? You see, here's what I know, and here's what you know, and some of you are experiencing it. Joy can feel like it's missing from my world. And the reason it's missing from your world and my world is this. You already know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. Circumstances can steal my joy. You know that. I would have tons of joy if everything went the way I wanted it to, right? You would have tons of joy if everything went the way you wanted it to. I'd have tons of joy. My world would be full of joy if my car never broke down. Can I get an amen? But it's not just that it breaks down. You know what? It breaks down on the coldest day of the year. Isn't that normally when it happens? I'd have tons of joy if my gutters never got clogged with leaves after they already froze in there, right? I'd have tons of joy if my hot water heater never went down while I was in the shower, I'd have tons of joy. You'd have tons of joy if the circumstances all went the way you want. I'd have tons of joy if my back never went out, the food was always hot. I'd have tons of joy. 
I left tons of joy if the cable didn't go out while I was watching my favorite movie. Anybody with me on this? I'd have tons of joy if my favorite team won every game. Or in the case of Cleveland, one game. I'd have tons of joy. <laughs> I'd have tons of joy if that was the case, right? If circumstances went the way I wanted them to, but here's the deal. You know this, I know this, circumstances can steal our joy. You know what I know? Don't talk to anybody that works with me, but you know what I know? I can wake up feeling joy. By the time I get to work, it can hardly be stolen, right? You know that. You've experienced that. Circumstances can steal our joy. But you know what else you know and I know? Is it's not just circumstances. That's not the only problem. The truth of the matter is people can rob my joy, and they do. Some of you are sitting here today, and there's no joy because people are robbing you of your joy. You see, my world would be full of joy if my neighbor would keep his dog in his yard and wouldn't use my yard as a restroom, right? Anybody like that? Yeah. You see, I would have tons of joy if my boss was nicer, more understanding. I'd have tons of joy. Let me see if I can get an amen on this one. Ready? Listen close. If people didn't text while they were driving. Can I get one amen in the room on that? And then look at you like you're the one with the problem, right? I'd have tons of joy if it wasn't for other people. I'd have tons of joy if people didn't throw trash in my ditch. By the way, if that's you, stop it. Yeah, I'd have tons of joy. I'd have tons of joy if the lady in line at Target didn't wait till she was checking out to clip her coupons, right? Anybody get behind somebody like that? I'd have tons of joy if my wife always knew what I needed, if my kids were always respectful, always obeyed. I'd have tons of joy if the couple behind me, while I'm taking my wife out on a romantic dinner, would find a pacifier for the kid that cried the whole way through the dinner, right? I'd have tons of joy. I'd have tons of joy if my company knew when to leave. I'd have tons of joy, right, if the preacher preach shorter sermons. I'd have tons of joy. <laughs> Guess what? I'm a killjoy. It ain't happening, all right? Sometimes it's easy to think I'd have tons of joy if it wasn't for other people. It can look like joy left the world. It can feel like joy's missing from my world. And here's what I know. We laugh, and it's kind of fun to think about. But some of you, that's your reality. And if that's your reality, listen close, then Christmas is for you. Seriously. Like the Christmas story is for you, and you might be sitting there this morning, I'm like, really? Yeah, Christmas stories for you. Can I tell you something about Christmas that I ask you to do this all the time? I say, read your Bible, and when you read your Bible, don't read it in black and white, read it in color. When, when it gets to Christmas time, we get these little, little figurines, and we put them on the mantelpiece, and it's so sanitized, and everything looks serene, everything looks perfect. That's not the way it rolled out. Because the truth of the matter is, the Christmas story is full of real people in a real situation, and they're very much like you and I, and the Christmas story unfolded in a point in time in history when it looked like joy had left the world. Did you know that? In fact, you have the story in front of you. It's Luke chapter 2. I want you to read it with me. I want to tell you some things that might be important for you to know today. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, we'll come back to that. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. Stop for a minute. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but when we read the Christmas stories, like we get past these verses to get to the really familiar stuff, right? And so this is the stuff with names in it you can't pronounce and all that kind of stuff just to get to the point of the Christmas story. And yet, the truth is, the first three verses of chapter 2, Luke's account, give us a historical context. I want you to think about it this way. It's almost as though you were to turn the TV on and get CNN, Fox and Friends, first century version. You see, that's what the first three verses of Luke chapter 2 give us this morning. 
They give us what's going on. And if you had turned the TV on first century, you would have watched the news play out and you'd have been like, wow, same old, same old. Same things my parents watch, same things my grandparents watch. We have someone else ruling. We're not in charge of our own destiny. We have the Roman Empire. They're in charge. They're kind of cruel. And you would have been watching the news play out and you would have heard these words, Caesar Augustus, and you would have known what that meant. We don't know what that means, but the word Caesar, you can forget this, but it's interesting, just simply means king or emperor. That's all it means. It's a title. In those days, the king, the emperor. But what's interesting to me is Caesar Augustus. Like, what does that mean? Well, the Caesars or the kings or the emperors, they wanted the people, go figure, they wanted the people to call them Augustus because that meant the high one, the holy one, the revered one, the deity. So if you had flipped the news on, you would have heard about rulers in charge who were in charge and they wanted everybody to recognize them as one of the gods. This particular Caesar in charge then in Luke chapter two would have been a Caesar whose name was Octavian and his story is interesting because he was the great nephew to one of the Caesars who happened to be named Julius Caesar. Now that sounds familiar. And he was the great nephew to Julius Caesar and Julius Caesar liked him and he wanted him to be the heir to his throne. The problem is Julius Caesar died before he thought he was gonna die because a guy named Brutus killed him, assassinated him. You remember the story in English class. (laughs) And so because he died before was expected, three different people, came to the forefront and said, we're heirs to the throne. So Octavian had to fight in order to get the place that his uncle wanted him to be, finally defeating this guy named Mark Antony and Cleopatra to get his rightful spot on the throne. Problem is, if you had flipped on CNN, Fox and Friends, first century, you would have heard, yeah, there's Caesar, Octavian, wants everybody to call him God, and his personal life is a mess. You're like, it was, it was. Because it would have been headline news. Hey, by the way, Octavian, Caesar Augustus, he's divorcing his wife. Really? That's too bad. Why is he doing that? Well, the reason he's divorcing his wife is because they have a daughter and she can't somehow give him a son. And he needs a rightful heir to his throne. So he simply got rid of his wife. Instead, he went and married this woman. You know why he married this woman? Because she had a son. But beyond that, he said to this son... I want you to marry my daughter because I want you to be the rightful heir to my throne. You would have watched first century CNN, Fox and Friends. You're like, wow, these guys seem to be very arrogant, very egotistical. Their personal life seems to be a mess. And and, and beyond that, he was a shrewd leader. He was an organized leader. And so he placed people in positions of power in different regions. It just so happened where the Jews were hanging out, Judea, he put this guy whose name was Herod. And Herod's personal life was a mess. He was an egotistical leader who was always looking over his back because he was afraid somebody was going to dethrone him. He placed his house up near the temple so that the Jews would all know, even though he wasn't a Jew, I'm right on the same plane as God. That would have left a bad taste in the Jewish people's mouth. You see, if you had watched long enough, you would have seen that there was these leaders and it was corrupt and it was cruel and there was all this stuff going. You would have thought, man, it looks like joy left the world. Beyond that, you would have watched... CNN, Fox and Friends, first century, and they would have talked about the taxes. The taxes you had to pay, but you had no say. The taxes that they collected, and sometimes they took more than they were supposed to. 
simply because that was a way to fill their pockets. You, you would have heard them talk about a government that wanted to run a census every 14 years just so they could keep everybody in line and we needed to build the army. And if you watched the news long enough, first century, just like today, you would have heard not only was it government, not only was it leaders, not only was it taxes, but even there was this distortion happening in the churches where there was these classes of people who thought they were better than everybody else, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. If you would have been a Jew the first century, much like being 21st century United States, you'd have been like, wow, it feels like, man, where's God? It feels like joy left the world. And it would feel like joy left the world, and maybe it's not coming back. And then if you keep reading the story, all of a sudden you realize maybe joy didn't just leave the world, but you begin to hone in on these characters that are very familiar to us in the first Christmas story. And you're like, wow, they had lives just like you and I, and their lives are interesting, and their lives were real. In fact, in verse 4, it says this, we're introduced to some, and now we get some familiar characters, and this is where we like to go at Christmas. It says, so Joseph, okay, I heard that name before, also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. Read it in color, not black and white. He went 80, 90 miles on a trip in the middle of winter when it would have been treacherous to travel why did he do that? Well, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He had to. They told him, you got to. And he went there to register with Mary. Well, that's interesting. We heard that name, first Christmas. We understand that name. Who was pledged to be married to him? Stop. Look here a second. It's like, man, this sounds fine, right? Joseph, Mary, they're engaged, living the Nazarene dream, man. I mean, everything looks good until you read the next little line. Look at this. And was expecting a what? child. Guys, look here a second. Put skin on this. Read it in color. Joe, he's living the Nazarene dream, man. He's a good guy. He's a carpenter. He's a hard worker. Think about his life. You have characters in this story where it would not be hard to see how circumstances could have stolen their joy, how people could have robbed them of their joy, because Joe's just working hard. Joe meets Mary. Man, we're going we're gonna to make a life together. We're going to be husband and wife together. I'm going to build this house together. We're going to do this thing together. It's going to be awesome. They're planning. They're dreaming. They're thinking just like you and I. And then all of a sudden, one day, Mary comes to Joe, and she said, you know, we're engaged to be married, got dates set, everything's going to be cool. And she said, you know, Joe, I got something to tell you. What's that, Mary? Well, I'm not quite, quite sure how to tell you this, but like I'm expecting a child. Like if you're Joe, you're ever like, you're expecting a child? Like, like, like there's a part of you that's like, how did that happen? It's like, because I know I wasn't there. I mean, what do you mean? You're, what's going on, Mary? And, and if you're married, you're like, yeah, I know, it's kind of crazy, right? It's like angel, this whole angel thing, and then God, and like God, but a baby. And I know, I don't get it. It's like crazy, right? And Joe's like, I can't believe this is happening. And we had our lives planned out. Now everything's crazy, and we weren't going to have a baby until five years down the road. And what's going on? I can't believe, right? Circumstances steal your joy. Eventually, God, in a dream, says, no, Joe, she's telling you the truth. Really, I've got a plan. I'm doing something crazy. They're going to be talking about this in 2017. It's unreal what's going on. But I still got a situation if I'm Joe because now, even though God says, yep, that baby in her, I put there. I got to now take her on an 80, 90-mile journey to register with me. 
As if this trip isn't going to be hard enough on its own, now i got to take my fiance who's expecting. we got to answer all the stories, right? People are like, so you guys are engaged, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, she expecting? Yeah. How'd that happen? Well, I mean, you're not going to believe this. Yeah, probably not. See, it gets interesting because all of a sudden now I've got to take my fiance expecting, ready to have a baby, some 80, 90 miles, and look at what happens. This is fascinating to me. Verse 6, while they were there, underline that in your Bibles because there is not here. You're like, well, Dan, that's really deep. Anybody in the room ever find that when some unfortunate circumstances, inconvenient circumstances happen, it never happens here, it always happens there? It always happens when you're away from home, when you don't have your tools, when you don't have the things that you're familiar with. Look at this. While they were there, there where? There Bethlehem. 80, 90 miles from home, the time came for the baby to be born. Guys, be Joseph for a minute. It's like, dude, in carpentry school, they taught me how to make chairs and tables. Like, she's getting ready to have a baby. We didn't take that class, right? And we're 80, 90 miles away from home. Time came for her to have a baby. It's almost like without thought, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and she placed him, look at this, don't miss this, it's too familiar to some of us, in a, say it out loud, manger, excuse me, she placed him where? Like, like no mom in the right mind would do, what are you talking about? That's where the, the animals eat from, what are we talking about? Why in the world would she do that? Look at this, because there was what? No guest room available for them. Guys, put skin on this, man. It's like there are people just like you and me. They're chasing joy. And I got to think to myself, like, what's going on? And here's what happens. He takes his fiance on this 80, 90-mile journey. She is ready to have this baby. They get there 80, 90 miles away from home, 80, 90 miles away from those who can be helpful, and she's going to deliver this baby. Joseph's like, now? Yeah, now. And then he looks at her and does what any good boyfriend or husband does. He says, hey, by the way, did you make the hotel reservations, right? And she looks back and said, no, I thought you were going to do that. And they begin knocking and they say, hey, is there any vacancy? There's no vacancy. I mean, there's a part of you that if you put yourself in this, you're like, come on, I can't believe this is happening. But the, 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 the motel manager, the innkeeper says, but I got this place where we're parking the animals. You can have it. That's the best we got. See, it's fascinating When you read the story, you realize it could feel like joy was missing from their world. And then you take it a step further. Go with me, verse 8. Because the story, it's too familiar to us, but the story is, well, the first people that were told about this magnificent birth, verse 8, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And unfortunately, when we think shepherds, here's what we think, because it's too familiar to us. The very first thought that comes to our mind is these five or six cute little elementary age kids with oversized bathrobes and things tied around their head. And that's not what's going on here. Like, do you know who the shepherds are? Like, like they're the blue-collar outcasts. <laughs> like, on, on, on the ladder of society, the only group lower than the shepherds is the colony of lepers. It's like when, when you read the Christmas story and you read it in color, it could look like joy was, was missing and left the world and it wasn't coming back. And, and when you look at the characters of Christmas, it could feel like joy was missing from them. They're people just like you and me. They're chasing joy. And it's like, wow, all of a sudden, everything's different than we thought. And look at what happens. Look, look, look. Verse 9. Angel of the Lord appeared to them. 
glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Look here, say, I'm going to teach you something. has nothing to do with the sermon, but I have people tell me all the time, I wish an angel would show up. No, you don't. Every, I promise you, you don't. It would scare the liver out of you. Everywhere in the Bible, an angel shows up, people are terrified. And so this angel says to the shepherds, they're out in the field minding their own business, said, don't be afraid, which is easy for an angel to say. And then he says this, I bring you good news. About time, we've had bad news for a couple hundred years. That will cause great, what's the word? Say it out loud. Joy for all the people. What's that good news that's gonna cause great joy? Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This is gonna be a sign. Great, who's this baby? Where is, you'll find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Excuse me? Angel says, I got good news. Listen, don't miss this. I wanna take you somewhere that's kinda unique and it's kinda odd. This is a unique way to start a Christmas series, but this is where God took me in my study and I just want you to go there with me. The angel said, I got good news. And he says to these shepherds, you can quit chasing joy. Quit chasing joy. Joy found you. You can quit chasing joy. I got good news and this joy is gonna be for all people. It's gonna be found in a baby. Begs the question. When I study and read the Bible, I ask myself questions. You ought to, too. Begs the question. It's a weird question, but I'm going to take you somewhere weird for a minute. How in the world did the angel know this was going to cause great joy for all people? See, I ask myself questions when I read the Bible. You should, too. How how in the world did the angel know? It seems like he's talking with such great confidence. And as I'm reading this, I'm like, I wonder how the angel knew that this was going to cause great joy for everybody. And I have a hunch, and I think I'm right. I really do. I think I'm right. I have a hunch that the reason he knew this was going to cause great joy, listen close, lean in. This is so important for some of you this morning. The reason he knew it was going to cause great joy is because the news he was delivering, listen, listen, first and foremost caused great joy in heaven and in the heart of God. You see, I don't know if you've ever thought this or not, but this, it's weird to start here, but I say we're going to have a series on joy. Here's what everybody in the room thought. We're going to talk about my joy, but have you ever stopped and thought about what causes God joy? What gives God joy? Because here's what I want you to think about just for a few minutes this morning, and then we're done. What if, what if the secret to your joy is somehow connected to what it is that causes God joy, that gives God joy? You see, it's an interesting question to me that I think Jesus answers for us later in the story. You see, here's what you need to know. Stay with me on this. Jesus, Christmas Jesus, cute Jesus, in the manger Jesus, on your mantle today Jesus, he grows up to be adult Jesus. And what's interesting is that adult Jesus was a very good storyteller. He's an incredible storyteller. And if you turn in your Bibles just a few pages over it, and you should go there with me or follow on the screens, Luke 15, he wants to tell a story. But I'm not just fascinated with the story. I'm fascinated with the people listening to the story. Look what it says. Tax collectors, we talked about them. They were sellouts of the Roman government. They filled their own pockets. Other notorious sinners, prostitutes, partiers, whatever it might be, they often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made this other group listening to Jesus, the Pharisees, that's the really religious and teachers of religious law, complain that he was associating with such sinful people. He even ate with them. Look here a second. 
What you have is Jesus standing in the middle and you have people that are chasing joy. They're just all chasing it in different ways. You have people over here, they're like, man, I'm gonna connect my life to the Roman government because that's the way for me to get ahead. That's the way for me to get wealthy. And if I get wealthy, I'm gonna have joy. They were the tax collectors. Over here, these were the sinners. These were the prostitutes, the partiers. Man, I'm gonna live it up. I'm gonna just have a party every day of my life, all my life, and that's joy and it's gonna be awesome. And then you had this group over here. And they're like, wow. Jesus, you're associating with them because they were the Pharisees. But they were chasing joy too. You know how they were chasing joy? They thought somehow, if I just become really religious, if I just really obey and listen to all the rules, then somehow that's gonna be joy for me. The problem is they were killed joys. And Jesus saw he had this audience, people chasing joy in all these kind of ways. And he says, hey, listen, listen, I wanna tell you something. I have a story. So he tells them this story, verse four, a man has 100 sheep. One of them gets lost. What do you guys think he's going to do? It seems like an easy answer. Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he finds it, he'll joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he'll call together his friends and his neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is, what's it say? More what? More joy in heaven. Don't forget that, guys. There is more joy in heaven in the heart of God over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous in heaven straight away. What brings God joy? What is it that causes heaven to rejoice? One lost sinner who repents. Like, like you want to know what it is that causes God to throw a party? That's it. One person who's lost, who all of a sudden becomes found. Because here's what I know. You already know this. You know how we get lost. You know how you get lost. You know how I get lost. Here's how we get lost. We get lost chasing joy. Some of us get lost trying to find joy. We're going to get into our business, become successful, work our way up because that's where joy is. And somewhere along the way, we get lost. Somewhere along the way, we get lost, we lose our purpose, we lose perspective, we lose our family. Some of us get lost because all of our friends, I'm just going to party till I drop, I'm going to just live it up, drugs, alcohol, whatever it is, women, I'm just going to live it up. Somewhere along the way, we get lost. I'm like, I don't even know how to find my way back, and everybody's left me, and I don't know, and now I'm in deep weeds, and we get lost. Others of us, we get lost. We're chasing joy. And they told me if I just went to church, became this good little boy and followed the rules and did this and dotted the I's and crossed the T's, then I would have, and we get lost. And Jesus tells this story. It's like, man, when you get lost, you want to know what brings God joy? What brings God joy is when someone who is lost all of a sudden is found, which is why Jesus came. Because if you just looked a few pages over in Luke 19, baby Jesus, whose Christmas Jesus became adult Jesus, who told stories Jesus, and then he illustrated the point. Because there's a story about Jesus going into town, into Jericho. And in that town, there was a man who was chasing joy, he was a tax collector. And he decided the way to find joy, the way to chase joy is to connect my life with the Roman government. I'm going to fill my pockets. I'm going to take more than I have coming to me because somewhere in there, I'll find joy. 
His name happened to be Zacchaeus. He heard Jesus was going to be coming to his town, and he's like, wow, Jesus is kind of a celebrity, man. Everybody's talking about him. He's popular. I want to go see what's going on. Problem is, just like Isaac Watts, you know what? Zacchaeus was what? Short. He's like, man, if I get in the crowd, I can't see. But he was ingenious, and he was strategic, and he said, I think what I'll do is I'm going to run ahead, and he found the right spot. This man who had been chasing joy all his life, chasing joy, connecting with the Roman government, chasing joy, filling his pockets with money that wasn't his, chasing joy, figuring that was going to bring him satisfaction, climbs up this tree because he wants to see Jesus. The Bible says Jesus came walking down the road and he came to that tree, that sycamore tree where that man who had been chasing joy all of his life was perched, and Jesus stopped. And he looked up in that tree, and he called him by name, and he said, Zacchaeus, why don't you come on down? Why don't you stop chasing, stop this never-ending, exhausting chase for joy? I want to go to your house today. Why in the world did Jesus say that? He tells us in verse 10, chapter 19, he says, the reason I tell that is because the Son of Man, Jesus, Christmas, Christmas, Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. See, it begs a question this Christmas in your never-ending and exhausting quest for joy. What if the secret to you finding joy lies in the answer to what it is that brings God joy? And what if, I want you to write this down, what if, I am the joy that inspired Christmas. What if I, you, we are the joy that inspired Christmas? What if all this time you and I have been chasing joy and the joy of Christmas has been chasing us? What if all this time you and I have been looking for joy and a message of joy, meaning and things of that nature, and what if the message of Christmas is that joy has been looking for us? What if joy isn't simply what happens to us listen close but what if it's what happened for us you're saying dan what do you mean well i'm glad you ask here's what hebrews 12 says therefore since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the joy marked out, or the, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's baby Jesus, Christmas Jesus, now grown up Jesus. He's the pioneer perfecter of our faith. For the, say the word out loud with me, joy set before him, he endured the cross. Scorning the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Look here a second. What if, what if you were the joy that inspired the first Christmas? What if you were the joy that inspired Jesus to endure the cross? That's what Hebrews 12 is saying. You see, here's what I know. I'm so busy trying to find what's going to bring me joy, I never stop to think what's going to bring God joy and think that somehow if I connect my life to what brings God joy, well, then that might be the secret to me finding joy. But the secret to you finding joy is somehow connecting your life to what it is that brings God joy. And what brings God joy is when someone who is lost because they've been chasing joy is found. You see, here's what I know. And then we're done. Here's what I know. If this is true, 
that if you and I are the joy that inspired the first Christmas, that means several things. First and foremost, it means this. You can stop chasing joy and you can start choosing joy in your life. Some of you, some of you this morning, you're lost. Your chase for joy has you lost. It has you right up a tree, just like Zacchaeus. You thought, man, if I just get ahead, if I make more money, if I become significant, if I da-da, 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 and you're up a tree. You've lost your family. You've lost perspective. You've lost purpose. You're like, man, I'm up a tree. I thought this was going to be joy, and I'm up a tree. Some of you are like, man, my friends all told me it's going to be about partying and just live it up and more girls and more beer and more, and I'm up a tree. And I'm like, man, I've been chasing. I'm exhausted. Now I'm up a tree. Some of you, man, you, you've been religious and you're like this and that, and yet there's something empty and you're up a tree. The story of Christmas is that Jesus came because what brings joy to God is Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And the story of Christmas is he's standing at the bottom of your tree this morning. And he's saying, quit chasing joy. You think that's going to give you joy? You think that's going to... He said, I want you to start choosing joy. I want to go home with you. You see what an incredible Christmas it could be if you begin to discover what brings joy to the heart of God is what is the secret to bringing joy to your own heart. That when Jesus came, he died. He died in your place. You are the joy that inspired him to endure the cross. You see, we look back at Christmas and we feel good and warm and sentimental. Do you know what I think, guys? I think God, that first Christmas, didn't look back. He looked ahead. And he looked 2,000 years down the road. And he saw you. 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 And you. And you. And you. And you. And you. And you. He knew you were going to be tempted to chase joy. But he wanted you to know that Jesus came. And Jesus stands at the bottom of your tree. And he said, you can stop chasing and you start choosing. I came to seek and to save the lost. You see, here's what I know. If that's true, there's something pretty cool. If that's true and I choose joy, that means something very significant in my life. That means I can stop living for joy. And I can start living from joy. Like if I choose the joy that Jesus brings into my life, I don't have to run into circumstances hoping, I hope this brings me joy. I hope this relationship gives me joy. I hope everything goes good here so I'll be joyful. But literally, guys, that means I can live my life from joy because I have a joy that the world can't take away. And I can walk into any circumstance with joy. That's why Jesus' half-brother, his name is James. Did you know that? He said something in, John, in James chapter 1. This is what he said. It's, it's kind of weird, but he said it. He said, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. How in the world do I do that? There's no way in the world I can consider it pure joy if I'm looking for my circumstances to bring me joy. The only way for me to do that is to live from a place of joy that understands that I'm lost. He came so that I might be found. I'd love for you just to bow your heads. I'm going to close in prayer. 
I'd love you just everybody across the room bow your heads. You don't have to close your eyes. I mean, this isn't, but get in a space where you can be alone. Can I ask you this question this morning? You chase and joy you up a tree? I mean, maybe everybody around you sees you're successful. You got lots of money. I don't know, but maybe you're up a tree. You know it. Everybody around you knows it. Your family knows it. You've lost them. You've lost perspective. You're not happy. Maybe just maybe this Christmas, Jesus is standing at the bottom of your tree and he's saying, hey, why don't you stop chasing joy and start choosing? And you right there in your seat can say yes to Jesus. Yes, Jesus, I believe that you came for me and that you died on the cross to save me from my sins and to save me for a purpose. So this morning, I want to say yes to you as my savior and yes to you as my Lord and leader. Listen to me, that's where joy is found. And if you had that conversation with God this morning, I'd love to somehow hear from you. Some of you are sitting here and you're like, man, I did that a long time ago. I had the relationship, but somewhere along the way you got lost. And you started chasing joy and all kinds of things. And this morning you're disappointed. This morning the holidays are hard. This morning there's no joy. It seems to be missing from your world. And this morning maybe Jesus is at the bottom of your tree and he's saying, hey, where you been? I came so that you might have life and have it abundantly. I came so that you might have joy. This morning, maybe his call on you this Christmas is stop chasing joy and start choosing joy. And maybe his call on you this Christmas is stop living for joy and start living from joy. Because of Christmas, Father, I am so grateful that we can have the joy of knowing you and the joy of being in your family and the joy of walking into whatever circumstance and relationship from a place of joy. I pray for my friends in this room as we begin this conversation this morning and talk about joy. I'm so grateful that what brings you joy is when someone lost is found, but I'm grateful the story of Christmas is that you made that possible for each of us in this room. We love you. We are so grateful that you love us. We pray this in Jesus' name.